What's happening? A good Tuesday to all of you. Thanks for joining us as always. It is very much appreciated. We'll get into the Celtics a little bit later. Lots of thoughts from last night, that Pacers game. But first, we talk about Bill Belichick. Is Bill Belichick already angling to keep his job here in New England? It was the biggest question that I had uh, listening and reading some of Bill's latest comments with Greg Hill on WEEI from yesterday. You know, Bill has a keen eye on sports talk and media. If you think Bill Belichick's not paying attention to the sports media, then you haven't been paying attention. Belichick absolutely 100% understands what the conversation is about his team every single second of every single day. He gets updates. So Bill Belichick is very keen on sports talk, sports media, what is being written, what is being said. He knows right now, no doubt about it, Bill Belichick knows that he is in the crosshairs. Belichick knows that his job is in some trouble here in New England. And I kept thinking about this when I saw what Belichick had to say on the Greg Hill Show yesterday. By the way, we're live here on this Tuesday. We're going to go live every single weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on YouTube. Throw in your comments. As I see your comments, I'll try to get to those as much as I can during the show, time permitted. So, Bill Belichick, Greg Hill, on the season, and this was a Michael Hurley post yesterday. With the exception of two games, really, we had an opportunity in every game. And yesterday was another one where we had a chance with the ball at the end of the game, and we weren't able to get the points we needed to get ahead or to win. More from Bill, again, on the Greg Hill Show. Is the roster better than 2-10? and 10? Quote, I mean, we've been in a lot of close games. We haven't won them, so that's what we are. Could those games have gone differently? How far away are those from being different outcomes? I don't know. They are what they are. Been a lot of close games. So again, Bill pounding this idea into your head that, yeah, we've lost 10 games. We are 2-10, and 10, but a lot of those losses have been close. How about the wide receiver group? Here's what Belichick said on EEI yesterday. The wide receivers have to take advantage of when they have the opportunity to make big catches and added quarterbacks need to make sure they hit the open guy. But also said, quote, I wouldn't say, again, this is about the receiver room. I wouldn't say it's ability. I would say it's consistency. Bill Belichick, with the conversation that we're having about his future here in New England and him being totally aware of this, Belichick yesterday on Greg Hill to me, was getting ahead of it. He was getting ahead of this story as we get closer to the end of this season. Belichick is preparing for his postseason Robert Kraft talk. That's what I took from it. He's getting ready to sit down with Kraft, and this is what Bill Belichick is going to tell Kraft at the end of the season. This is going to be his pitch to keep his gig to Kraft. He told us. He told us yesterday on the Greg Hill Show that this is what he's going to say to Robert Kraft. There's no doubt about it. When he sits in front of Kraft and Kraft asks him, Bill, how in the world did we have this bad of a season? How did it get this far off the rails? Belichick is going to sit there and he's going to look at Kraft and he's going to say, we were close. There were a lot of tight games we lost, Robert. If it wasn't for a play here, if it wasn't for a play there, if it wasn't for injuries, this season would not have been as bad as it was if it wasn't for many of those things. We were close to winning. This is what losers say. Honestly, when you are the head of a losing team, this is what you do. You scratch, you scrape, you claw for any kind of excuse 
or any kind of reason why you weren't as good as you thought you were going to be. You weren't as good as the owner expected you to be. And Belichick yesterday by saying, yeah, but we were close. That's all he's doing. He, he's trying to justify this putrid season. He's trying to justify this terrible offense that we watch week in and week out, no matter who the quarterback is. Yeah, but we were close. What if they finished 2-15? and 15? Do any of you want to hear, yeah, but we were close? <laughs> Does that get you excited at all? Does that justify what we've watched? Yeah, but we lost this game by three, and we lost this game by six. Here's some breaking news for you. The majority of NFL games, they end with one possession being the difference. Many, many games across the NFL finish within six points and three points. They finish within seven points. They finish within eight points. That's what this league is. You separate yourself on the margins. So sitting back and telling me that you were close in a lot of these games, it doesn't sell me on anything, Bill. I don't care if you lost 10 games by three points. doesn't matter. You lost those games. What Bill is going to try to sell the owner and what he's trying to sell people out there with this interview yesterday is this idea that this year was misleading. The results were misleading at the end of the day, that this team wasn't as bad as the record would tell you. That's what he's going to try to sell. When he's talking about the wide receiver room, talent versus consistency, are you kidding me? When, when you watch the wide receivers on this team, do you think consistency or do you think talent? Which is lacking? Both, but which is the bigger problem? Belichick still thinks that his wide receiver room isn't a big deal. Belichick still thinks that he has talent in that wide receiver room. He still thinks Juju Smith-Schuster is talented. He still thinks Devontae Parker is talented. I mean, he still thinks that the decisions that he has made, the pick he made with Tyquan Thornton, trying to sell me on this room's talent? It's just consistency? Across the board, offensively, this is a talent issue. Guess what? Talented guys usually are consistent because they, they consistently put up production. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a consistency problem. He's on one leg. It's a lack of separation problem. It's a lack of talent problem. Devontae Parker is a lack of talent problem. And Bill is getting ready to sit in that room with Robert Kraft when this season is over, and he's going to sit there and try to justify and excuse his decision-making on the offensive side. That's what he's going to do. It's not, the, it's not the offensive line's talent. That's not a problem. It's not the wide receiver talent. That's not the problem. It's not breaking the starting quarterback. That's not the problem. It's all consistency. That's what Bill's going to try to sell us. It's a consistency issue. Just zero accountability from Belichick, which is another big problem. During this terrible season, the guy who runs the program, responsible for all of these decisions, gets paid $25 million a year to be the guy, has lacked accountability from the beginning of this year to right now in this moment. There is zero accountability coming from Belichick, coming from Foxborough. Robert Kraft is silent because I believe he thinks if he comes out and says anything, he's just going to make matters worse. So ownership is silent, and you have a head coach slash GM who is unwilling to take accountability for the bad decisions that he has made. You want to talk about consistency? Let's talk about the consistency of the bad decision-making in that front office. Let's talk about the, the drafts that they have blown year after year. How about that consistency? 
I wish we had a little bit of inconsistency when it came to drafting. <laughs> the team is 2-10. Your drafting, especially the past seven or eight years, has been dreadful. Your talent on the offensive side isn't good enough. That falls on one guy. It falls on Bill Belichick. How about Belichick the coach? Are you not going to take any responsibility for some of the in-game decisions that you have made that have cost this team? Some of the fourth down decisions, even going back to last week against the Chargers, some of the decisions you make? How about going to back to the game against the Giants and punting, being at the Giants' 37-yard line and deciding to punt the football for a 2-9 and nine team at that time? How about some of those decisions? How about the operation? How about too many men in the huddle against the Chargers? That was sweet. But zero accountability. We'll continue with the Belichick talk in a minute. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube right now, give us that thumbs up. If you're watching on Twitter, give us a like. You can also repost this video as we go along. More eyeballs means we build this community and we need more eyeballs with this one-man band to get some traction here. Some great numbers from all of you. Thanks for your support. But give us that thumbs up as you watch. Try to get to 200 likes on YouTube. And again, if you're watching on Twitter, if you're watching on Facebook, comment, like, do whatever you want to do. But try to get to 200 likes on YouTube during today's episode. Let's talk about one other thing regarding Bill Belichick. His stubbornness. When he sits down with Greg Hill and he says what he said yesterday during this interview. Does he strike you as somebody who's looking to change? Does he strike you as somebody who truly understands the issues with this football team? Or does he strike you as a guy who is going to live by his philosophies that is so stubborn, still believes that he does what's in the best interest of the football team when pretty much everybody else watching says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Does Belichick sound like somebody who's open-minded to change things? He's trying to sell us on the wide receiver room. Does he sound like a guy who, who's willing to change anything? For a team right now that we all feel needs some significant change, Belichick is on the radio humming the same old tune. And that's ridiculous. It's the same old, same old. The Patriot way, all of that stuff. The results are bad. The results are bad. And I think the fans... They deserve the transparency. I paid over $500 to go to that awful Saints game earlier this season. I would love some transparency from the guy who's making the decisions. I would love some honesty. I would love some responsibility and accountability. I'm paying my hard-earned money to go to that game. I'm spending hours of my life watching this football team be 2-10. and 10. You owe me some kind of explanation as to why this is so far off the rails. But Belichick is sitting there on the radio yesterday sounding like he's unwilling to change. He's unrelenting. He is who he is. All right, Bedard brought up uh, this week Belichick's tight circle on a piece that he wrote, Greg Bedard did. Uh, is Belichick allowing that circle to do what they want? A very telling comment from Burt Breer on Sunday that we'll get to. Don't forget to like on YouTube, comment, and subscribe. Uh, let's go to uh, Mason Daly here in the comments, try to get to some of these. I think. Uh, Bill O'Brien is being forced to run the Earhart uh, Perkins in an era where nobody in high school or college is running it. Uh, Mason, we did a podcast going back several weeks ago about this system, this offensive system, and how it's very difficult to run. And it, it has brought about a lot of problems. And when you look at this 
this Patriot system going all the way back to Charlie Weiss, right? Going back to yesteryear. When you look at when you look at these offenses that run that system, they have all pretty much struggled this year. McDaniels gets fired, right? It's been a problem. Brian Dable in New York, it's not working out great. Let's go to Logjammer here. Logjammer says, I bet he's going to pin it all on the quarterbacks. Hopefully Kraft doesn't fall for it. Oh, absolutely. Mac Jones is being set up as the scapegoat. No matter how you feel about Mac, Bill's going to walk into that room, and a lot of this is going to be Mac Jones's fault. We, we see this. Belichick does not like taking accountability. I don't think Belichick's going to walk in to that office of Robert Kraft when this season is over and say, look, this is what I did wrong with Mac Jones. This is what I did wrong with the quarterback room. You know, this is why we weren't prepared in case Mac wasn't good. We'd have somebody better to go to than Bailey Zappi. Look at these backup quarterbacks. Did you watch that game last night? Two backup quarterbacks looking way more competent than any quarterback on the Patriots roster right now. So, yes, get ready. The scapegoating has already begun. Mag380, facts. Thank you. I appreciate you showing up here and watching this. Uh, Kelso H saying, uh, great content. I appreciate that. The question is, how stupid will Kraft be to fall for all of that? I I don't think he's going to fall for it. I hope he's not going to fall for it. I I hope he he doesn't. My goodness. Derek Rosado says, you know, realistically, the season stinks and the brain trust has not had very consistent drafts, but honestly, the season might be exactly what the Pats need. Necessary evil, right? Derek, the idea of a necessary evil, maybe it needs to get to this point for the crafts to make significant change. All right, talking about significant change, Bill O'Brien was supposed to significantly change this offense, taking over from Matt Patricia and Joe Judge after that bleep show a year ago. And this offense has been deplorable. The offensive line has stunk. The wide receivers and tight ends have been confused on which routes to run. The quarterback play obviously has been bad. The operation has been bad. Delay of games, too many men in the huddle. Chaos at the line of scrimmage before the snap. It's been awful. So how much of this falls on Bill O'Brien? I found this quote from Burt Breer on Sunday night, very, very telling on Sports Sunday. Here's what Burt said. I've been told by people inside the organization who feel like Bill O'Brien isn't allowed to run the offense that he brought in here. Bill basically tells him, quote, This is what I want this week. This is what we're looking for, unquote. And he works within those restraints. As recently as last night, again, this was Sunday. So as recently as Saturday night, somebody told Burt Breer in defense of Bill O'Brien, I don't think he's able to run everything that he's learned. All of the new fangled stuff where the game is going, he's not able to run it to the level of where he's learned to run it because of the restrictions here. So Burt Breer reporting on Sunday night that Bill Belichick is dictating this offensive situation. That Belichick is telling Bill O'Brien, this is what we're going to do. This is what we have to do. And now execute the plan. It's not necessarily Bill O'Brien structuring the thing from beginning to end. It's Belichick saying, this is what I think we need to do. So now, Bill, go do it. According to Burt Breer. And Burt has some really good reporting chops. We know that, right? So how much is Bill O'Brien? I I think listening to Breer say this, the idea of Bill O'Brien being the quote-unquote head coach of the offense is, is dead. It's dead. If Bill Belichick is dictating the 
overall picture of this offense week in and week out, then Bill O'Brien is being handicapped. He's being handcuffed. He's being restricted. Whatever words you want to use, that's what's happening. So that's a problem, obviously, because I thought you brought O'Brien in to run this offense. I thought O'Brien was brought in to game plan this offense, to run the offense the way he thought the offense should be run, to help and develop these players within this offense. I did not think that Bill O'Brien was going to be an exaggerated mouthpiece for Bill Belichick offensively. I mean, again, what is the point? Belichick is unwilling to change. They want to continue to run this offense. And if Bill O'Brien wants to sprinkle in some wrinkles, if he wants to change some things, if he wants to try to evolve this offense even more than he was trying earlier in the season, and Belichick is telling him, we're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. Run the offense, Bill. If that's what's happening, then it's a mess. It's a mess. Belichick, we know, is a defensive guy. Look at the offensive roster he's built. He should not be touching the offense. Bill Belichick should not be touching the offense. The only time Belichick should weigh in on the offense is during the in-game process if there's a big call to make. If it's fourth down and you want to go for it, make the call. If you if you want to punt, then you punt. Those are the kinds of decisions that Belichick should be making with this offense. He should not be dictating what this team runs on a Sunday. You brought Bill O'Brien in to be that guy. And whether or not Bill O'Brien is good, he's better than McDaniels, if he stinks, let Bill O'Brien burn himself if that's what's going to happen. Let him burn himself with his own game plan and his own decision-making. We've got Belichick jumping in on this. We've got Belichick telling Bill O'Brien what offense should look like. It's 2023. The guy who thought bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster on one leg was an upgrade over Jacoby Myers is telling Bill O'Brien what to run offensively. The guy who gave Devontae Parker a contract extension instead of bringing in DeAndre Hopkins is telling Bill O'Brien what offense to run. What world do we live in? I feel like I'm in crazy land right now. Belichick should be focused on the defense and the head coach operation. Those are supposedly his strong suits, right? That's what he does. That's his bread and butter. Let O'Brien run the offense. We don't need you involved, Bill. Belichick loves everything on his plate, apparently. Why not delegate? Why not delegate? Why not change some things up? When you're watching this season be so bad, when you watch this offense week in and week out be so bad, maybe just maybe, Bill Belichick, it's time to change some things. Maybe you change your approach. Maybe you tweak it. Maybe you say, let's give Bill O'Brien the keys. Let's see what he can do. Maybe we want to, you know, get up and just possibly, possibly be a little bit more creative, show some ingenuity on the offensive side because we suck. But Belichick loves everything on his plate. He wants to be the guy. Everything has to go across his table, whether it's nutrition, strength and conditioning, how many times people go to the bathroom. He wants to know it all. He's got to be involved with everything. Doesn't delegate. Does he not trust the staff? Does he look at his staff and say these guys aren't good enough? Is that, is that the problem, that Belichick lacks trust? I mean, the circle that Belichick works with is so damn small. If he has a lack of trust with that small circle, then he might as well just be everything. Belichick might as well just be OC, DC, special teams coordinator, head coach. He's already running the front office. 
Maybe he should approach Robert Kraft about buying the football team. Maybe Belichick can sell some tickets. Maybe Belichick will be at the front entrance at Gillette Stadium. Checking those mobile tickets on your phone. I mean, my goodness. He's limiting the staff's power. And if you're if you're on the offense and you know Belichick is weighing in and dictating this situation, how much do you respect Bill O'Brien? Bill O'Brien is supposed to be your coach. He's supposed to be your guy. He's your coordinator. How much do you respect him if, if you know that Bill Belichick is above him saying, we're not going to run that this week? You're limiting the power that this staff has over the players. You're limiting the buy-in on the offensive side. You're limiting your staff's growth. And we wonder why Josh McDaniels goes to Vegas and is just little Belichick. And this is all setting up for the scapegoats. It was brought up earlier in the comments about the quarterback situation. Scape. This is all it is. Think about it. It wasn't Belichick's fault. It was Matt Groh's fault. He has more responsibility than he's had in prior years. Not Bill's fault. The offense sucks. Not Bill's fault. It was Bill O'Brien's fault, and it was the quarterback's fault. It, it wasn't the talent at wide receiver. It was the, the consistency of the wide receivers. I mean, things are so bad right now. Why would you not give Bill O'Brien the latitude to do something different? Setting everybody else up to fail. Patriots for chat. This has to be one of the most emotional channels on YouTube. When I get worked up, Patriots for Christ, yes. It gets a little emotional. Get a little worked up because I care. Because I'm passionate about this. Because I grew up watching these teams. And I don't get worked up just for anything. If I'm bubbling over, trust me, it's going to be worth it. The emotion and all of that. This is real. This is genuine. It's why I'm doing a podcast every day, live at 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube, Nick Cattle Show, because I love what I do. I am passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about these teams. I'm hardly making a nickel with this one-man band. Trust me when I tell you, I'm three months in. But I'm doing this every day because I love it and because I enjoy talking to all of you and going back and forth. This channel should have a lot of passion to it. Should have some comedy as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's quickly get to the Celtics. Because if you think I'm on one trick pony, I want to prove that I am not a one trick pony. I am fascinated by all four sports. I am invested in all four major sports. And, you know, I am very passionate about the Celtics. And I watched the game last night. Uh, they failed to obviously get to the semifinal of the in-season tournament last night. I'll give you my thoughts on that. But don't forget, Cattles on Causeway is a Celtics podcast I do. We're going live tomorrow night at 7 p.m., Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Do not forget that. If you're a Celtics fan, you want to join us. Uh, and if there is going to be a game on Wednesday nights, we will do a live post-game pod following Celtics games on those Wednesday nights. So tomorrow night, Cattles on Causeway, we go live 7 p.m. on YouTube. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Give us a like if you're watching on YouTube. All the likes mean the world to us. All right, let's get into some Celtics quickly here. Indiana wins 119-112. Uh, and, and let's start with the obvious. Let's start with the – I know there's a lot of theories out there. Let's start with the obvious. You're going to lose a lot of games, no matter how talented you are, when the opposition shoots 
better than 47% from three. And that's what happened last night. The Pacers shot 47.5% from three. When you look at the Celtics' three-point shooting, let's subtract Sam Hauser from it. The Celtics, minus Sam Hauser last night, shot seven of 34 from three-point land. A 21-point difference at the three-point line. We can just keep it at that and say, all right, good night. But we go beyond that. We go deeper than that. Tyrese Halliburton. How about Halliburton? 26-10 and 13. He was unbelievable. And the thing about the thing about Halliburton is that he hit so many tough shots. He had so many tough threes, especially late in that game. That dude is so talented. I worked in Sacramento for about a year and a half before coming back home due to family reasons. And I saw Halliburton play. The guy is a stud. He was a stud last night, hit a bunch of tough shots. I don't know why Joe Mazzulla did not decide to blitz Halliburton. I don't know. It might be the layman in me. But if somebody is going bananas like Halliburton was last night, I might try to blitz. I might try to, you know, double him. I might try to be more aggressive on the pickup points right around the half court line to get the basketball out of his hands. But the Celtics did not do a lot of that. They didn't blitz Hallie much. They didn't blitz him enough. So that was that was an issue that Joe Mazzulla has to look at. A bigger issue, and this goes beyond just last night, is the third quarter problem. The Celtics have a third quarter problem. The Celtics have had a third quarter problem for multiple years now. And last night, again, we saw it. The Pacers outscored the Celtics last night in that third quarter, 37 to 23. Just ridiculous. You go into the third quarter with, what, a seven, eight-point lead, and then you get your nipples ripped off in the third quarter, 37-23, and now you go down you know, into the fourth quarter on the road. Obviously, Indiana was all pumped and jacked for that freaking game last night. So when you look at this, the third quarter problem still exists. It won't go away. And I thought the Celtics failed to match the force. They failed to match the force, the impact, that the Pacers were playing with consistently enough in that second half. The pick-and-roll defense was awful. The on-ball defense wasn't good enough. But this third-quarter issue, over and over and over again, is killing the Celtics. Now let's talk about Jason Tatum, because I know a lot of people are talking about Tatum. He had a good offensive stretch in the fourth quarter. He pretty much carried this team in the fourth quarter for a good three or four minutes. I do have to question why he's not touching the basketball deeper in the paint. At the beginning of the year, we saw Tatum getting a lot of post-ups. And I think to have a better offense late in games, the Celtics need to post up more. And Tatum has slowly but surely started to move away from posting up, especially late in games. Get him some deeper touches. Get that guy within 10 feet of the basket. He's getting a lot of catches at the nail. He's initiating a lot of the offense beyond the break. Get him touches inside the paint. Please, I'm begging you. It works. I don't understand why he's catching the basketball 18 feet away, and a lot of times he's taking turnaround jump shots. He's, he's, he's making the game more difficult. He can make those shots, which speaks a lot about his talent, but get him deeper touches. Make the game easier for your best player. One other thing about Tatum, and this is a big issue, and I talked about this before the season tipped off, pull-up threes. If Jason Tatum is not making his pull-up threes, his offense is not nearly as devastating as it can be. And we're looking at the pull-up threes. 
Going into last night, Tatum was shooting under 31% on pull-up threes. Last night, his first three threes were pull-up threes. Guess what? He was zero for three. He's not shooting the three ball as good lately because he's taking more pull-up threes. He, he shoots like 45% on catch-and-shoot threes. He has to stop taking so many pull-up threes. It's inefficient offense, especially when you're taking those pull-up threes five seconds, eight seconds into the shot clock. He has to he has to step away from some of those pull-up threes. He has to. He has to be more efficient. Catch-and-shoot threes, more post-ups, dribble drives, attack the hoop. That's what Tatum should be doing consistently. Running offense through Tatum as well limits his offensive versatility. Because he's running the offense, because he's initiating the offense, he's stuck taking a lot of pull-ups. And that's not his strong suit. Late-game breakdowns, we saw it. Buddy Heald drives right by Derek White for a layup. Can't have it late in the fourth quarter. You gave up an inbound layup. It can't happen late in the fourth quarter. One other issue, turnovers. Turnovers are killing this team. 17-18 turnovers on the road against a team that loves to put up points and loves to get into transition. And turnovers has been an issue now for a few weeks running. They have to take care of the basketball. I don't care how talented you are. If you turn the ball over 17, 18, 19, 20 times, especially when you're on the road, you're going to lose a lot of those games. So three-point shooting, the difference at the three-point line, the turnovers, the offensive inefficiency, the offense getting stuck in the mud in the half court sometimes, these are issues we've seen from this team in prior years. And they have to get better at many of these things if they want to win a championship. Indiana only had six turnovers last night. Took care of the basketball, shot great from the three-point line. Huge different maker, difference makers. Horford and Holiday had 11 points combined. Obviously not good enough. And I will say, Porzingis would have made a difference. When your offense is going through those tough stretches, Porzingis in the post, that is an elixir. He's got to be healthy. For this team to win a championship, he's got to be healthy. He is so critical to the operation. His post touches, the fact that he lengthens the bench, makes you stronger, six through nine. His pick and roll versatility, offensively and defensively. Last night, Luke Cornett kept getting torched in the pick and roll in the second half. The on-ball defense wasn't as strong. Porzingis helps you with all of that. Speaking of Porzingis, the hope is that he returns this week. Friday night will be the next game, and hopefully that is true. As my guy, Mag380, reminds you, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're watching, we want Nick to make more than a nickel for this amazing content. I appreciate you, Mag380. Uh, that'll do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with the podcast. If news breaks, we're going to break it as well, so be ready for that. But we'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern Sharp, right here on YouTube. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe if you're enjoying this. Until then, be well. It is the Nick Cattle Show.